UK exited the European Union on January the 1st, more than four years after the country voted to leave the economic bloc in a 2016 referendum. Britain's exit from the EU has come at a very challenging time for the country's economy. Not only are businesses adapting to a raft of new rules from the trade deal, but they are also enduring the third national lockdown in England as the surge in COVID-19 cases refuses to slow. Britain's economy is expected to contract by about 11% in 2020 because of the effects of the pandemic, with the recovery in the first half of this year set to be very muted. Despite all this gloom, the benchmark FTSE 100 index secured its best start to a year on record. So does post-Brexit Britain present a lucrative opportunity for investors right now? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Alice Hayne from The National and joining me today is Stéphane Monnier, Chief Investment Officer at the Swiss bank Lombard Odier, who will guide us through the investment opportunities post-Brexit Britain presents right now. Thank you for joining me, Stefan. Thank you very much. Now, there was a huge sigh of relief when Britain finally agreed a zero tariff trade deal with the EU on Christmas Eve. And while it meant the country was exiting with a deal rather than a thin, I mean, it was a thin deal, it was a far better option than no deal at all. So what type of trade deal did Britain actually end up with? Is it enough for the economy to start off on a positive note? So first, uh, we avoided the worst outcome related to a no deal Brexit. However, uh, the deal is limited because it has been focusing mainly on goods, which represent only 20% of the UK uh, GDP. The disruption on the UK economy uh, will be contained for the next few months. Basically, uh, the UK avoided trading on WTO terms. This would have made the UK trade with the EU as a simple uh, third party on all goods. For example, it could have been the case that some tariff would have been imposed as per the WTO rules. For autos, uh, it is between 5 and 10% tariff that would have been implemented. So we avoided that. If we had been into the WTO rules, we would have expected that the UK economy would have been losing 10% of its GDP compared to its potential for the next 10 years. And the opposite, with the deal that we have, we think that the UK economy will only lose 5% of its GDP potential and it stayed in the European Union. So that's the big difference and we have avoided uh, the worst outcome. And with that in mind, I mean, you're still saying that the UK is going to lose some of its GDP as a result of leaving the European Union. But what's the outlook for the UK from here? I mean, we have a fall in GDP last year of 11%, and that's it's not looking particularly great for this year either, thanks to the rising number of COVID cases. So do you think the economy can still rebound? So the, the short answer is yes. The reason is that, you know, the, the COVID-19 crisis is hopefully a temporary phenomenon, and uh, the UK economy will rebound from it, especially uh, you know, if the vaccination campaign that is currently in place in the UK is successful. So that's possible that the UK economy will rebound quite uh, strongly because this is one of the uh, world economy that has suffered the most uh, damage from an economic point of view in 2020. So the rebound will be uh, very uh, big. And uh, the vaccination campaign seems to be going well in the UK. And the UK is one of the few countries that have approved three vaccines, the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna vaccine, and the AstraZeneca vaccine. The last vaccine is a a game changer 
because it's easier to produce, it's easier to deliver and store. What is very important in this context is the vaccination of the vulnerable people, the population over 65 and also the healthcare workers. As soon as those populations will be vaccinated, the hospitalization rate and the death rate will decrease sharply, hence the need of confinement will be much less uh, in, the, in the UK. And this will happen much before herd immunity is reached. You know, uh, what we call herd immunity is when 60 to 70% of the people are basically contaminated. On this side, I would say that you can also compare uh, the vaccination campaign in the UK with the United Arab Emirates, which is also doing a great job uh, when it comes to, to vaccination with more than 10% of its population currently vaccinated. Yes, I mean, vaccination is very important and we are seeing progress in both countries. But what do you think will have the bigger impact on the economy in the long term in the UK? Do you think it's going to be Brexit or the pandemic? Definitely Brexit. Uh, The Brexit will have negative consequences for the long term, uh, let's say over the next 10 years. It will be uh, eroding the UK competitive advantage We believe that the country can overcome this by, I would say, reinventing itself and being innovative, but it's not a given. On the other side, if I'm talking about the pandemic, the pandemic has a violent short-term impact, but with the fiscal and monetary support, the economy should be able to go over the sanitary crisis, uh, uh, you know, in the course of uh, 2021. And probably we would expect that in 2022, uh, the GDP level of the UK will have caught up on its level in 2019. So it's more of a short-term issue. But in terms of the trade deal and Brexit, I mean, there's still a lot of negotiations to come, aren't there? I mean, they've they've resolved some of the issues, but there's still more to come. I will uh, correct you a little bit on this. I I, I don't think uh, there will be, uh, um, you know, more negotiation because the trade deal is over. It is done. Uh, There may be some forum discussing its implementation in more detail, but the deal is now done. It is done. It is done, but it doesn't cover everything, does it? It doesn't cover financial services, for example. And those discussions are going to start again soon. That, that's correct. You know, it's done as far as uh, uh, trading goods is concerned, but not services. And I just want to remind you that services represent 80% of the uh, UK uh, GDP. Um, um, so from there, I think there are a lot of areas that uh, demand uh, further talks uh, to continue smooth uh, economic relations between the EU and the UK. Um, If you take Switzerland uh, as an example, you know, there has been a discussion for the last five decades between EU and Switzerland. And you can expect that as far as services is concerned, it's likely that the UK and the EU will find themselves also in constant negotiation. More specifically, the two sides will need to agree on subjects ranging from uh, moving employees from one location to the other, uh, on travel, on tax, on uh, police cooperation, on uh, insurance policies. Um, You know, it's uh, very important also to remember that the UK has been benefiting over the last decades about a high level of foreign direct investment into the UK. But this might change uh, going forward, you know, because a lot of the services that are provided from the UK to the European Union may not be possible in the future. So one of the things that does need to be ironed out is is 
the issue of equivalence in financial services. And that's the the arrangement that governs cross-border financial services. So what do you think we can expect there then? Because we've already seen that 7,000 financial services jobs were lost because of Brexit and about 6 billion in European share trading left the city in the first day of trading of the new year. So, I mean, why is equivalence so important? The equivalence is important because it covers different areas of services. So the two sides need to agree on the way the asset management industry, for example, is going to function going forward. Uh, They need to agree on where European securities or UK securities uh, can settle, in which clearing houses. So there's a full range of financial services that uh, account for close to 7% of the UK economy and probably 3% of the job of the UK economy that need to be defined and agreed between the EU and uh, United Kingdom. For the time being, uh, I would say there's been some temporary equivalence in order to avoid disrupting the the functioning of the financial services in the short term that have been granted until June uh, 2022. But going forward, you know, all these things are in the the balance and they will need to be uh, negotiated between uh, the EU and uh, the UK. Uh, as far as financial services are concerned. And as you rightly mentioned, there are a lot of uh, economic implication of that because the interest may not be totally aligned. Clearly, you know, there's been a lot of talks about making the UK um, a financial uh, center, such as Singapore. You know, there have been reference to uh, Singapore on Thames. And uh, if you take another point of view, if you were German, probably would you would want to have all those services being uh, operated more in uh, Frankfurt or Maine as opposed to Singapore on, on Thames because the kind of uh, politician interest will be to preserve uh, jobs or gain jobs in their uh, own country. So do you think the City of London can remain a leading financial hub going forward? Well, I think that's not going to help. You know, it is clear that uh, the UK one uh, gained the status of a major financial hub uh, especially after uh, the Bing Bang in uh, 1986, you know, progressively the UK financial centre gained uh, prominence uh, in the world. And now it all depends on uh, the negotiation uh, of those equivalents with the European Union. It is clear that this is not uh, favouring the UK position. And you have, you know, uh, other uh, uh, financial centre like New York, who's o- already having uh, a higher share in many aspect, maybe with the exception of uh, FX markets, than uh, London. But you would also have in the future emerging financial centers like maybe uh, Shanghai uh, going forward. It's all going to change. And how does all of this compare to Switzerland? You mentioned Switzerland early on, um, and they lost their equivalent status uh, when the European Commission let its recognition of Swiss stock markets expire in 2019. So, As a Swiss bank yourself, how do the two situations compare? I would say uh, the situation of Switzerland is slightly different in the sense that um, Switzerland is uh, having a land border with uh, the European Union. It's actually surrounded by uh, four countries that are part of the European Union, France, Germany, Austria and Italy. Uh, Also, the, the other difference is that Switzerland um, uh, has less uh, restriction as far as people uh, moving ar- around the border. Just to remind you, 
Switzerland is part of the Schengen Agreement, which the UK was not. So now that the UK has executed on its Brexit, it is fair to say that Switzerland is closer to the European Union than the, the, the UK. And despite that, as you rightly pointed out, in 2019, Switzerland lost its uh, equivalent status when the European Commission let its recognition of Swiss stock market expire. So, you know, if you take that example, you could imagine that the same sort of things could happen easily in the UK going forward. So with all of this doom and gloom for the UK, I mean, what's the outlook for investors, people outside the country that want to invest back into the UK? I mean, what's the outlook for them? Well, I think the outlook uh, as far as uh, the, the, the financial place is concerned is that uh, probably the UK will have to try to find agreement with also other parts uh, of the world. Maybe it can help, uh, you know, being a financial uh, centre for countries outside the European Union. I'm thinking about some emerging markets such as, you know, uh, the Middle East, but also uh, Russia, maybe Latin America. Uh, it uh, basically what we need to have is the UK reinvent uh, its position uh, in the world with relying less uh, on its uh, economic uh, relationship with the European Union unless it's able to negotiate a very positive agreement on financial service. But this looks to me uh, complicated to do because basically if you summarize Brexit, is the UK has decided to uh, put the emphasis on its sovereignty its ability to make its own decision at the expense of, I would say, having easier uh, service exchange with the European Union. And unless it goes back to that decision, it will be very difficult for the UK to have a lot of uh, facilities to operate financial services uh, within the European Union. Now, Rishi Sunak would disagree with you. He says that, you know, we shouldn't look at the sort of what's happened in the past. We should look forward and, and consider new opportunities. But I mean, obviously, he's he's doing this against a very poor economic outlook at the moment. We have rising COVID cases in the UK and the government's also had to issue more emergency support for businesses to help them survive through the third lockdown in England. Um, so is the UK really a good investment opportunity at the moment? Well, you know, the one characteristic of financial markets is that they anticipate things. So I would say, you know, if you look at the FTSE 100 as a representative of UK stock market, this is one of the market that has lagged all the other uh, European market because a lot of institutional investors or even private investors did not dare to invest in UK equities while the outcome of the Brexit referendum was not very clear. And you probably noticed that um, you said in your introduction that the, the, the UK market had a very good start of the year. So this is part of the catching back to, to reality and on the uh, relative good news of a Brexit deal as opposed to a no deal uh, uh, Brexit. Um, going forward, I would say the UK equity market structure has some advantage in the sense where a lot of the cyclical sectors such as energy, such as uh, financials, uh, such as industrials are represented. Uh, and uh, this is probably good in a context where you expect the vaccine uh, to uh, win the race against uh, the virus. And when you would have a strong cyclical recovery that we expect, you know, to come in the middle of 2021. So being positioned in uh, UK equities is probably a, a good idea 
and ourselves in our uh, asset allocation, we are currently overweighting UK equities. Is that more of a short-term opportunity at the moment, or do you think that's a long-term opportunity? I would say it's an opportunity probably for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, Very difficult uh, to say uh, beyond that. So probably not such a great opportunity for the very long run. And what about IPOs? I mean, this week, British bootmaker Dr. Martins became the third company to talk about floating on the London Stock Exchange. Do you think there'll be a surge in premium listings this year, something that the UK government is actually targeting? I don't think so. I I think that uh, the UK, for the timing, is losing its ability to pitch uh, those uh, investments, uh, you know, to a wider audience and especially to, uh, you know, investors originated from the European Union. So I would not be surprised if some of these IPOs of uh, smaller uh, companies would actually going forward happen uh, for the the European Union in their domestic market, let's say in Frankfurt for German uh, small companies, in Paris for small French companies, in Madrid for small Spanish companies and so on. Okay, so lots of change there, people referring back to their own countries. What about currency markets? I mean, the UK pound has been pretty low for, for some time now. What's the outlook there going forward? Well, uh, I think that the, the, the British pound had a, a reasonably good performance after uh, the announcement of the deal on, uh, on Brexit. I think this might have a, a little bit further to go. The potential that we see on uh, uh, cable, sterling versus US dollar, is something like 140. And we definitely think that the deal has put a floor at 1.30 on, uh, on cable. So it, it's got a sort of more of an optimistic outlook. Correct. Moderate, uh, moderately optimistic. Okay. Well, keeping in mind with that optimism, one bright spark in all of this has been the UK's property market, which has actually been acting in reverse to the rest of the economy. We've had house prices surging upwards since the start of the pandemic. Do you think that trend is actually sustainable? I think it's very difficult to talk about real estate market in general because uh, you have to differentiate first between the residential market and the, the commercial real estate market. And you have some major trends uh, in both uh, happening. If I start with the residential market, I think uh, there was a huge discrepancy historically between the prime market in the center of London and the rest of the country in the UK. And I would not be surprised that, you know, over the next 10 years, there is some sort of rebalancing because uh, I would say uh, the, the, the center of London could lose some of its attraction, partly due to Brexit, but not necessarily only. And uh, the rest of the country could gain in terms of attraction. As far as the commercial real estate is concerned, uh, you know, some sectors would be very much affected by the COVID-19 crisis and and, and Brexit. You could imagine that the office market uh, in London uh, would uh, suffer from it. I think, you know, some damage will be done uh, to the hotel industries, to some uh, leisure industry. And conversely, uh, I would say uh, some sector like logistics could benefit, especially, you know, I guess logistics around uh, the port of Dover is going to become... Uh, pretty crucial and pretty strategic going forward. So to wrap up, Stefan, what three things should investors wanting to target the UK look for now? I would say the first thing to target is interest rate. We believe interest rate will stay low 
for uh, longer to support the economy. So investing into fixed income assets is probably not such a bad idea in the UK. The second element which uh, I would like to mention is volatility. If uh, one of the uh, outcome of the Brexit crisis, if I take uh, you know, an opinion more uh, broadly than the UK, is that it has reinforced the European Union. When you know, the, the, the British people voted for Brexit, the initial um, worry was probably that some others will maybe follow suit and start to uh, uh, you know, do their own uh, exit of the European Union, you know, Italy exit, Frexit, uh, you name it. Actually, thanks to Mr. Barnier's roles in the negotiation, uh, the European Union has been very united in those negotiations with the British. Uh, and now even the most populist politician in uh, the European Union don't uh, talk about leaving the Union. On the contrary, I would say for the UK, there is a risk that the Brexit will put the British Union uh, at risk. As you know, there will be election in Scotland in May this year, and Nicola Sturgeon is likely to win those elections and bring back to the fore the, the subject about Scottish independence. One of the other um, consequences of uh, Brexit is that we did not reinstate a physical barrier between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, and it could be the case that also in the future, you know, this question uh, also come back to the fore. So there is potentially seeds uh, to question uh, the British Union going forward, which are elements that will probably create volatility uh, in the financial markets and so focus on volatility. And last is one point that we mentioned, UK equities. Uh, in the short run, we see opportunities. Um, the country was among the first to approve COVID-19 vaccine and is the, one of the most advanced in rolling, uh, rolling out uh, its mass vaccination campaign. Hence, I think that the UK market, which remains one of the world's cheapest, uh, presents some uh, good opportunities for investors. Plenty for them to think about right now. Thank you very much for joining me today, Stefan. Thank you very much. Thank you this week to Stéphane Monnier. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me on pf at thenational.ae. And remember that PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Ellison. I've been your host, Alice Hayne.